Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We happen to be transitioning this morning to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. So locate the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You're going to get to Joshua, Judges, and then the book of Ruth. Just a four-chapter little book, so it's easy to pass by right after the book of Judges, right before 1 Samuel, the book of Ruth. All right? This is a, a message called A Story of Love, Hope, and Redemption. The book of Ruth is a book where you are definitely going to find yourself somewhere in this story. This is a story where it's going to be hard to be in the stands. You're going to find yourself in the field Maybe especially for some of you because of chapter one, because chapter one is real rubber meets the road kind of life stuff where we're going to see Naomi, one of the main characters in the book, go through a lot of tragedy, a lot of dark days, a lot of difficulty. Uh, Life inevitably will throw these things at us. Um, It's just going to come. It's going to happen. And so this is the way life is. Uh, No matter what time you live uh, on the earth, You're going to have some trials and tribulations. Father, we uh, are so grateful to start a new book like the book of Ruth. It's a precious little jewel in the Old Testament. I think it's near and dear to everybody who's ever read it. And if they haven't read it before, it's going to become near and dear to them because they're going to find themselves in this story. And when we look at Naomi's tragedy in chapter one, but light begins to glimmer at the end of the chapter and we're going to find faithful Ruth, and we're going to find Boaz, a type of Christ, the kinsman redeemer. We're going to find the line to King David through Obed and through a Moabite woman who finds herself in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. And just so many precious jewels that move from tragedy to triumph, only as you can do it, Lord. And we pray that our hearts will be open, that we'll even feel deeply. This is a story where we're going to feel deeply, and it's okay. Because this is life and this is how things go. And I pray that you'll take us where you want us to go. Make us who you want us to be, Lord. And change us from one degree of glory to another because we've been here together studying your most majestic and powerful word. Write it on our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. The book of Ruth um, is a little book, as I mentioned, four chapters, just 85 verses in the Hebrew scriptures. Its position between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel is strategic in that it is showing the way to the line of David, who will be the second king of Israel, but who will be, of course, a type of the Messiah. The setting of the book finds itself mentioned in verse 1 when it says, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, a a familiar place to all of us, A certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. So whenever you study a book, you often can get a historical setting by just reading the opening verse. And what we have is the book is set in the time of the judges. Now, scholars will say they don't know for sure who the author of uh, the book of Ruth is. Some people believe it's Samuel. Some people believe it's a later scribe in the palace. There are others who attribute the book of Ruth to a woman, and we just don't really have enough information to know for sure. The rabbis were convinced that it was Samuel. 
but we just don't have enough to go on. We do know the historical setting, though, is the time of the Judges. And if you just flip back a couple of pages, go backwards, go to the book of Judges, chapter 21. The, the times of the Judges were a unique time in the history of Israel, and it was a dark time. It was a time of moral chaos, a time when there was no king in Israel. In fact, that, that line or phrase is mentioned several times. There was no king in Israel. There was a vacuum of leadership back in the day. And so there was a time of moral chaos, religious apostasy, and God raised up judges. And these judges were not like the judges that we think of today, behind a court bench with a black gown and a gavel. These judges were military heroes who served really in a local situation to try to deal with the enemies of Israel. You can think of Gideon and Samson. Uh, they are found in the book of Judges. The book of Judges ends this way, chapter 21, verse 24. It says, The sons of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and each one of them went out from there to his inheritance. In those days, verse 25, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was a time of moral chaos, if you go back to the book of Ruth, and a time when there was a vacuum of leadership and a time when morals were becoming all about self. And I'm sure this will sound very familiar to those of you who have been watching not only American society, but society all over the world, where now morals are really determined by the eye of the beholder instead of an objective moral standard of God. And so what's happening now in the world is everybody does what's right in their own eyes. It seems the supreme truth anymore has to do with what you want to do and how it makes you feel and whether or not you're sincere when you're doing it. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is an objective moral standard outside of how you feel. When you hear scholars and, and those who deal with philosophy talk about objective truth, what they mean is that truth is truth despite how you feel about it. It's still true. God has things that he wants us to do that align with a moral code that move directly from him to his creation. We are made in the image of God. In fact, the Bible says that God has written his law in our hearts, Romans 2, 14 and 15, and that our conscience bears witness to that law. That's part of what it means to be made in the imago Dei or the image of God. It means that you have a sense of morality. And that morality has been written on the very core of who you are. So that your actions, either your conscience will either excuse you when you do what's right or accuse you when you do what's wrong. God has put that into you. Now, scholars would say that it's possible to sear your conscience. There's some people that we look at these days and we say, does that person even have a conscience? We wonder. But for most people who are living everyday life, they have a sense of morality, and that sense of morality does not just come from your community. It doesn't just come from your parents. It comes from a God. And the time of Judges was a dark time in which the book of Ruth glimmers as light in a dark period of time when there was a lot of death and destruction and wrong that was done. And out of the gate, we find this character that we're introduced to, who is Naomi. Look at verse 2. The name of the man who went to this land of Moab with his wife is Elimelech. We'll talk about his name in a second. The name of his wife was Naomi. The names of uh, his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. 
Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. If we can throw up the uh, map for a second back there, Jim, for me. I want to just give you guys an idea of the geography that we're dealing with. So if you look at Judah there on the left of the Dead Sea, if you go up north from Judah, you're going to find the little village or town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem today stands about six miles south of Jerusalem. In order to go to the land of Moab, you have to go east, so you'd have to cross the Dead Sea. The Jews say it's more specifically, you should call it the Sea of Salt, because there is life in there and it's not dead. But anyway, so you'd have to cross the Dead Sea and go to the land of Moab. Now, a lot of people ask the question, well, why did they go to Moab? Moab was about 70 to 100 miles from Bethlehem. In ancient times, when there was a famine in the land, a lot of people moved to Egypt. Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, went to Egypt in a time of famine. Later on, Jacob, with his whole family, will go to Egypt, and God will use a famine in the land to bring them to the land of Egypt, Goshen, more specifically. There they will go from 70 persons to millions of people, and then they will be persecuted and uh, dealt with harshly by the Pharaoh, and then God will bring that magnificent exodus that happens. But here they go to the land of Moab, to the Moabite territory, and you can see where that is. And uh, 70 to 100 miles, would, if you go back to the, the slide there, thank you, Jim. Um, 70 to 100 miles would be about maybe a week or more journey on foot. So they were looking for the, the easiest way and the best way to go to this uh, place where they could find food. There's a famine in the land. And interestingly enough, the famine is happening in a place called Bethlehem. It's two words you put together in Hebrew. Beit means house. Whenever you see B-E-T or B-E-T-H, it means house. And Lechem means bread. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. He is the bread of life. He is the bread of God. Ironic, isn't it? that a place called the House of Bread could not provide for this family. And there are a lot of scholars that believe that Elimelech with his wife Naomi, there's some sort of prominent family in this area. I understand that the uh, women's ministry did a study on the book of Ruth maybe a year or two ago. I don't remember how long ago it was, but I, I heard through someone in the office that there was some deep theological discussion going on among the women, specif specifically as it relates to the man Boaz, who will show up in the story. And the deep theological discussion was this. One of the ladies in the study was convinced that Boaz looked like Ricardo Montalban. And just so you know, so that's just, you know, that's what they were really wrestling with in that study. No, I'm just kidding, but little birdie told me that, that that was going around. Ricardo Montalban. It must be true, right? Boaz is going to show up later. But as I mentioned, every reader can find themselves in this story, and here's why. It says, Elimelech, verse 3, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. So I want you to imagine a family deeply rooted in the area of Bethlehem. If you think about the history of Bethlehem, Bethlehem is the place where Rachel died in Genesis 35, giving birth to Benjamin, the son of my right hand. It's where... Uh, Jacob had to bury Rachel. So it was known as a place of death. Bethlehem shows up in the book of Ruth, and it's a place where there's famine, but then there's a time of redemption. There's a harvest, and there's a kinsman redeemer, and there's the line that leads from Obed to King David. Incredibly. It is in Bethlehem that David will be anointed as king of Israel. And of course, it is in Bethlehem 
that the ultimate David will come, Jesus Christ, our deliverer, will be born on a Bethlehem night. A lot of rich history in the area of Bethlehem. You are listening to Living Truth Radio with Pastor Michael Lance. I'm Mike Massaro, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, why are you interrupting Pastor Michael's sermon? Well, I have a good reason. Since Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported program, it relies on donations from people just like you to stay on the air. And trust me, you can't always assume that someone else is going to be the one doing the donating. So if God has blessed you through our ministry, we'd encourage you to go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the donate button. Let's face it, the way the world's going these days, we need all the solid teaching we can get. So partner with us today. That's livingtruthradio.org. Now, back to Pastor Michael. And Naomi, who has now moved from Bethlehem to Moab, has been hit with a deep wound. Her husband passes away. We don't have any information. We don't know how he died. We don't know the circumstances of his death. We don't know what happened. We don't know if he got sick. We don't know if he lingered on a deathbed. We have no detail. The the writer, the narrator is very terse in, in detail. He just simply says that Elimelech died. Elimelech's name means God is king or my God, Yahweh, is king. And it is interesting that he lives in a time when there is no king. There's a lot of irony in this book. He has to vacate a place where the king should be ruling and he dies under the watchful eye of his king. He is now dead and he leaves a widow behind. But not only does he leave a widow behind, but he leaves her behind in a foreign land. Naomi would have had little, very little choice but to go to Moab. That's what the patriarch said. That's what the father of the family said. We're going here. But then she goes there with her husband and two sons. And then, of course, tragedy happens and the husband dies. One writer says, The story of Ruth has been called a microcosm of Genesis. An important faith link between Abraham and David is established in this book. Ultimately, the trajectory of the story culminates in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate revelation of God. He embodies the theology of Ruth. Ruth is really the gospel in miniature. In modern Jewish Bibles, Ruth follows the Song of Songs or Solomon because of the liturgical calendar of the Jews. And so um, this, is, this is where the story finds its setting. It's a dark time. It's a difficult time. It's the days of the, book of, the, days of the judges. And then, of course, tragedy strikes and husband is dead. But it doesn't end there. Notice it says, uh, the two sons, and then verse 4, and they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. With, with, uh, as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. If you track the chronology of the book and track the story of the book, it seems that the story unfolds in about a 12-year period of time. And these two Jewish sons marry Moabite women. Now, people ask the question, should they have married Moabite women? Was that wrong for them to do so? What Israel was told not to do was to marry the people of the town or or the area of Canaan where they were going to go to conquer the land. So they were not to marry Canaanites or Girgashites or Perizzites or Norkites. That was a joke. Anyway, or Coronites or Yorbalindites. No, just kidding. But there were certain people groups that they were not to marry. Moab was not included in that group. But Moab was told that they could not enter into the assembly of the Lord. And later in Ezra and Nehemiah, there seems to be a prohibition to marry Moabites and Ammonites. 
yet they do this very thing. It seems only natural. You're in the land of Moab, and so you marry Moabite women. What do we know about the Moabites? Well, we do know this, that the Moabites came about as a result of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. It's recorded in Genesis 19. Here's what happens. God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's wife looks back. She gets caught up in the destruction. They go into a cave area, and maybe they think that they're the only sole survivors on the planet. So the two daughters get Lot drunk. They uh, give him wine, and he drinks too much. That was his own choice. He got intoxicated. The daughters were with him, and children were produced. And from that incestuous relationship comes Moab and Ammon. And that, those people groups became a problem for Israel ever since then. If you read the record of the book of Numbers and you read about chapters 22 through 25, you'll see Balak, a king, trying to use Balaam, a prophet so-called, to entice the people of Israel to be with Moabite women, to break the moral code so that God would curse Israel instead of blessing them. That whole theme is even picked up in the book of Revelation as Jesus deals with the churches. And so they, deal these, they marry these Moabite women, but then notice, then both Malon and Kilion, the sons of Naomi, also died. And the woman, her name isn't, isn't even recorded here. Her name, by the way, Naomi probably means pleasant one or uh, sweet. The woman, the, the narrator doesn't even want to say her name, sweet, was bereft of her two children and her husband. Her husband dies in a foreign land, and now her two sons die in the foreign land, and she is left with herself and her daughters-in-law and nothing else. To be a widow in a patriarchal society, even if she was in Israel, would be tough enough. But she was in Moab in a foreign land, very little fallback, very little you know, community or familial structure to fall back on. What was she to do now? She had lost pretty much everything. My wife, uh, when she received some news about a medical report, had someone tell her these words uh, in the face of uncertainty and what's going to happen next and where is God in my pain and loss. Number one, she said, God allowed this. Number two, God is working. Number three, don't panic. Some of you need to hear that. God allowed this. God is working. Don't panic. But when we're in situations like this, it's hard to do anything but panic, right? I mean, we're, we're, we tend to get fixed on the problem instead of the author and perfecter of our faith. Instead of us praying, we find ourselves, you know, just uh, stressing over the details and we get into that what-if game. And the enemy often gets a foothold in our lives right there where we're worrying about every detail and every possible scenario. In fact, later on... Um, Naomi will say, don't call me sweet anymore. Don't call me by my name. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because the Lord's heavy hand has been upon me. And so during this, this trek to Moab, tragedy strikes. And I don't know what you may be going through right now, but I'm sure that the twists and turns of life, they end up catching up with all of us. The New Living Translation says, Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone with her two sons and her husband. Just picture for a moment this bereaved widow with a triple tragedy. Her husband and her two sons are dead. All the males in her life, all that she would depend on for financial support and strength and protection, gone. 
ripped away. When we uh, feel like life is out of control, when we, don't, when we can't see plan A, B, or C, when we can't see what God is doing, when we're wondering, God, are you on the throne? Man, life, life can get hard. She lost everything. She was bereft of her children. And the question lingers to the reader, is there any future hope for this woman? I know Jeremiah 29, 13 says, I will give you a future and a hope, but is there any hope for her? Will she ever recover? Scholars believe that uh, Naomi is probably in her mid-40s right now. Her daughters-in-law, probably in their mid to late 20s. A woman in her mid-40s, especially in a foreign land, what is she to do? Well, then she arose. Look at verse 6. She picked herself up is kind of how I read this. She got up off the, the mat with her daughters-in-law that she might return. A key word in our whole uh, study of chapter one is the word return. It's the word shuv. I'll tell you about it in a second. That she might return from the land of Moab for she heard, she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. She heard probably through someone in a caravan that in her hometown that she departed from, the Lord had blessed the famine had uh, given way, and now there was, there was a blessing. There was food to be found back in the house of bread in Bethlehem. And can you imagine being her at this point? And, you know, we all go through that woulda, shoulda, coulda stuff like, man, should I have stayed in Bethlehem? Uh, is the reason that this is happening to us as a family is because we decided to go from Israel and cross over into the territory of Moab with their pagan deities and their, their different construct. Is this God saying you did the wrong thing? Zap, 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 husband and son's dead. You know, we, we go through that. We ask questions. We know that God can discipline at times. And so we're wondering, well, did I do the right thing here? Is this why this is happening? Questions, I'm sure, flooded her heart as they tend to flood, uh, flood ours. But every story of triumph has some tragedy to overcome, folks. The sweetest victories in life don't come when everything's easy. They come when the odds are stacked against you. The greatest stories in Scripture of faith, standing at the edge of Red Seas, at the, uh, looking up at walls that are too big to, to, to deal with, looking at giants in the land, that's when your faith is going to be tested. That's when you're going to have to make a decision on who you're going to follow. And so she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. The word return is repeated in verse 7, and it's the word shub or the word shuv. For the people of Israel to see the word return, it would be the idea of repentance. Repentance is a U-turn on the road of life. You've been going your own way away from God and you do a U-turn and you come to God. That's what it means. The word shuv in the Hebrew picture language means to burn the house. Ancient armies would come in to a town. They would take that town. They would take captives from that town. And in order to make sure that they knew they had nothing to come back to, they would burn their village, put the people on the top of a brow or a hill, burn their village in front of them to say, you have nothing to go back to. The house is burned. You belong to us now. You are our captive and our prisoner. Shuv has the idea of burning the house. It means I am not going to leave anything to go back to. In the Greek New Testament, the word Repent is metanoia. It has the idea of changing your mind, changing your heart, changing your actions. It has the idea of saying, I'm going to burn the old stuff and not go back. I'm not going to leave something to go back to because my intention is not to go back to my sin. 
Amen? My intention is not to go back to my old ways, not to leave something there that I can uh, go back to again. I'm going to burn the house. John MacArthur says, The pleasure of sin is brief while the sorrow it produces lasts. The sorrow of repentance is brief while the joy it produces lasts. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael Lance, and thanks for joining us for Living Truth Radio. We're excited to be in the book of Ruth, and I have a very special guest with me today. It's Andy Chapel, all the way from New York. Andy moved from New York to California with his lovely bride, Aubrey, and he's normally back there working the board, turning dials or whatever it is that you do back there, Andy, pushing <laughs> buttons, trying to make us all sound good. I know it's 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 a big job, but somebody's got to do it, Andy. And, and today you're kind of taking the spot of Oscar because Oscar's taking care of his bride. And uh, we're going to interact a little bit on Ruth chapter one. What's some things uh, that you'd want to fire my way, Andy? Well, as we look back kind of what we talked about on Ruth chapter one and just a book in general, you know, we have them... They leave Bethlehem because of a famine, and then when they get to Moab, you know, they find just more sorrow and more loss of family. It's a tough one. You know, and you really do sound like from New York, Andy, still. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, Andy, uh, we're living in a time right now, and I guess it's not really unique to our time, but, you know, we just heard about an earthquake in Mexico, one in Japan. We've had hurricanes. We've had Christian persecution. We've had a lot of mm-hmm. even tension in our own country, um, just, you know, uh, with stuff that's going on. And when you go through personal loss, when you think about what Naomi went through, she lost, you know, she left her homeland in a famine. Then her husband dies. Then her two sons die. And in that culture, to be a woman alone uh, with no resources in a foreign land was tough. And these kinds of times in life um, really make us ask some big questions about God's sovereignty, God's providence, or where is God? You know, Mm -hmm. that's basically where the story is. I'd like to go back to even just women at that time and it being hard for them to be on their own. And it's just, it's, it was unnatural for that culture and that, in that time period. But then Ruth being a Moabite coming back to a land that's not her home, following her mother-in-law and her declaration of faith, but by not leaving her side. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a major uh, part of the book where Ruth really makes a profession of faith. And she says to her mother-in-law, who's not, you know, basically saying, hey, I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like the hand of God's against me. And, and basically she says, no, your people are going to be my people. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Where you go, I'm going to go. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. And uh, I think what we could say is that she saw something in her mother-in-law that was different. Yeah. The gods, the gods of Moab, just couldn't satisfy. But like you said, Andy, I think it was a major step of faith to basically go, you know, to walk by faith, not not being a local there, but to end up in a place called Bethlehem. And yeah. we know, you know, Bethlehem now becomes the center of the story. Yep. And we know what happened at Bethlehem, and and the answer to everything that ills us—darkness, death, confusion, questions—was answered on a Bethlehem night. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.